The great Hungarian violinist Zoltán Zekel had a close association with Béla Bartók. They performed together many times as a violin and piano duo, and Zekel, as a later leader of the Hungarian string quartet, championed the composer's quartets. So it's no surprise then that in the mid-1930s, Zekel asked Bartók to write a concerto for him. Bartók was receptive to the idea and came up with a very original concept a large, continuous set of variations in one movement. It's a tantalizing thought. Bartok was at the very height of his powers in the 30s, and one knows without any doubt that he'd have achieved his goal brilliantly, thus adding something unique to the concerto repertoire. But Zekel wanted a traditional three-movement work, just like the concertos of Beethoven, Brahms, and Tchaikovsky. Now, Bartok's respect for Zekel must have been very deep and genuine because he relented and wrote Zekel the grand three-movement work the virtuoso desired. But there was a compromise. The second movement is a theme followed by six variations, and the finale is in fact a variation in three-four time of the first movement's main theme. So it seems that soloist and composer both got what they wanted. It's worth mentioning here that even though Bartok's own instrument was the piano, he loved writing for the violin and for great violinists, including Steffi Geyer, Jelly Duranyi, Joseph Sigeti, and finally Yehudi Menuhin, who commissioned the late solo sonata. Anyway, back to the concerto. This is a big work in the grand concerto tradition. But Bartok manages to satisfy Zekel's requirements without in any way taking a backward step in his own development. The 1930s is the decade when Bartok produces masterpiece after masterpiece, each one a milestone in European music. The Fifth String Quartet, the Sonata for Two Pianos and Percussion, and Music for Strings, Percussion and Celeste. In the 30s, Bartok is thinking primarily in terms of strict counterpoint and new sounds, which are created either by new combinations of instruments or very imaginative ways of writing for them. Now, the violin concerto is fitted out with the lush textures of a romantic symphony orchestra, including harp and celeste. And some people have seen it as a slight step backwards for him. I don't. The counterpoint remains clear and uncompromising. He also includes some of the remarkable new sounds he's created in the immediately preceding works. In the second movement, for instance, note the duet for solo violin and timpani, supported by double bass, and later in the same movement, the variation for pizzicato strings, a clear reminder of the remarkable music for strings, percussion and celeste. Here are a couple more interesting points. The first movement, Allegro non troppo, was originally titled Tempo di Verbunkos, referring to the strong, dotted rhythms which come from Hungary's most famous national dance. But the movement's second theme is actually a Schoenberg-style tone row of 12 notes. Now, Bartok is not going into serialism here, but he is making a polite nod, if you like, to one of the most controversial and interesting innovations in early 20th century music, 
So all in all, the Violin Concerto Number no. 2 is a synthesis of everything Bartok has achieved up to this point. His love of folk music, his desire to keep up with what's going on around him, and his own particular approach to counterpoint and sound. I feel this work sums up everything Bartok loved and admired. One final interesting point. There are two endings for this concerto. Bartok's original ending has the soloist gracefully bow out before the final bars, which erupt with trombones braying like wild animals. It's thrilling, but Zeckel wasn't having it. He wanted to hold the spotlight right up until the final chord. So Bartok once again accommodated his wishes, writing a slightly longer coda with a suitable peroration for the soloist. And I think Zeckel was right to demand it. It feels right, psychologically and emotionally. Having seen our soloist triumph over all the concerto's challenges thus far, we really want him or her to have the last word. Anam violinist Johnny Van Gend won the Academy's concerto competition in 2019 with his performance of Bartok's Violin Concerto Number no. 2. So Johnny, Bartok was a brilliant pianist, but he also loved writing for the violin. And he had a number of very productive collaborations writing for specific virtuosos, including Yehudi Menuhin, Zoltan Sekel, uh, for whom he wrote this concerto, Zighetti and others. What is it about his violin writing that appeals specifically to you? When I first started listening to the concerto and to some of other Bartok's other violin music. I wasn't I wasn't immediately a massive fan. Um, I think I went in expecting expecting what I was used to, more like in, instantly memorable and accessible melodic tunes and standard harmonies and traditional stuff like that. Like the concertos I played before that were beautiful romantic ones like Barber and Tchaikovsky and Sibelius and first impressions where I was not, I thought, oh, this, I mean, it's, it's cool, it's interesting stuff, but I didn't, I wasn't a huge fan. But then, um, once I started playing it and, um, like looking at the score and listening to more recordings, uh, I realized that once you didn't listen so specifically to individual melodic lines, which was the, probably the element that was putting me off the most because it was, you know, Bartok's intervals and his his um, his use of modes and his use of atonality um, can come across as um, I don't know a bit weird and sometimes a bit ooh what was that kind of thing. Um, but once I just kind of sat back and just wallowed in the overall effect or the overall mood, um, I found that's when I really came to understand and it all suddenly made sense. And since then, I would, without hesitation, say that like, his, his music is some of my favourite and his concerto especially is one of my favourites now. I'm surprised you say that because you seem very at home with the concerto. What then or who led you to take it on? Mainly my teacher, Robin. We were just trying to pick a new concerto for... Yeah, because I had a few auditions coming up in Europe and some other things. And so we were kind of thinking what would be good for auditions and what would show, you know, 
elements of my playing that are not gonna make a panel go, hmm. So he sent me away and with a few options like Bartok and Walton violin concerto and uh, I think Brahms might have been in there. And Walton and Brahms were definitely the more straightaway, oh, this is beautiful kind of thing. But Robin, very wisely, <laughs> as usual, uh, suggested that I s stick at it with the Bartok and give it, give it some, give it some time, give it a chance. And after a little while, I just decided this is really, really cool. I love this concerto. I want to do this. The concerto opens with a very grand, beautiful, long-spanning theme, and it seems to provoke two interpretations. You can either exaggerate the rhythmic accents to give it that extra Hungarian flavor if you like, or you can emphasize the lyricism. Now you, it seems to me, have gone for the lyrical approach. Was that a big decision for you? Yeah, it, re it really does kind of set the tone or so you want to <laughs> make sure you've got a clear idea of what you want. It's a balance as well because it's one of the moments which is more traditionally lyrical and there's nothing to abrasive in there with the harmonies or anything because I wanted it as, uh, as as you said lyrical um, but also it's marked forte and it's the first thing you hear and you don't want to sound kind of wimpy or um, you don't want people straining to hear and especially when you're playing with orchestra it does still need articulation and, and lots of energy and it's by no means a big smooth like long line it's it's still got that typical Hungarian folk elements of like the data and the emphasis on um, often the first like syllables of the music to which is reflective of the Hungarian language and it was a um, a process deciding exactly what I wanted to do and also the element of what string to play it on um, in a purely technical way because it doesn't actually say Sol G, which so it doesn't specifically want you to play it on the G string. Yeah, watching videos of different violinists, they've some have gone for the G string, which is, has most kind of guts and it's just a classic, rich, powerful sound. Others have gone for a mixture of the G and D strings, so just a smaller shift up on the third note. And some have just gone for staying at first position, which uses G, D, and A strings, which personally I'm not a, a big fan of. My second choice would have been the G and D string option, but I chose to go with the G string just because that register of the violin is always fun to play on. You know there are two endings for this concerto, the original one which has the orchestra take over and it's very thrilling with those braying trombones, but Sekel, the soloist, didn't want that. He wanted to have the spotlight right until the end and you've gone for that ending. Look, I'd say there's definitely pros and cons to both versions. Um, but overall, I'd probably have to agree with Stekel, just <laughs> mainly for purely selfish violinistic reasons. The main one is that you, you just feel a bit kind of left in the lurch if you finish about a minute before the orchestra and you're kind of standing there. Uh, I'd, I'd never had the experience, but I can imagine that you wouldn't exactly know what to do. Do you keep your violin up? Do you, do you face into the orchestra and kind of look enthused? Do you, do you interpretive dance? Like, what are, you, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> so in that in that way, it's definitely more fun to be there right to the bitter end. Yeah, another thing is that if you choose the orchestral ending, then the last thing the violin soloist plays is this hideously difficult parallel octaves, like consecutive octaves, very fast, very high. <laughs> and, and yeah, you can imagine it's not a, it would be a great feeling if you shank that and that's the last thing you just get to play. The violin ending itself isn't exactly easy, but it's slightly less risky than that as the last note.
Our next Radio NM podcast features Mozart's Oboe Quartet, led by Edward Wang. Thanks for listening. Thank you.